Oh, hey there, busy teachers. I'm Jodie and I am obsessed with all things teacher related. With over a decade of teaching and leadership experience, I'm here alongside some incredible voices of the teaching profession to share some wisdom and tips with you. As teachers, we love to teach, but we live to learn. So this is the time for you to sit back, relax and absorb some magical teachings that will help lift and inspire you. This is the Busy Teachers Club podcast. Welcome everyone. So today I am joined by the incredible Susanna Haygarth, EAL specialist and lead in a large inner city comprehensive school, an all-round phenomenal teacher and leader. I am am very privileged that I get to work so closely with someone as amazing as Susanna. Um, So I can absolutely personally shout out from the literal mountaintops about how amazing this woman is. Susanna's role is a complex one. Um, So she's here to share some golden wisdom on the journey of some of our EAL students and how we work as practitioners to close the gap and support them as best as we can in the classroom and beyond. So hello, Susanna. Hi, Jodie. (laughs) <laughs> hope you've had a good day today although I have I did see you about an hour ago <laughs> yeah exactly thank you so much for inviting me on your podcast it's an absolute pleasure and um, so could you start off by telling people who are listening then a bit about your journey in teaching so far leading up to telling us about how you landed this role and what it entails yeah sure so I've been uh, teaching nearly 20 years now which makes me feel so old um, <laughs> and uh, I'm now at my third school, Um, so I've done various middle leader roles. Um, I've been head of department uh, for social sciences. I've um, run a pastoral system. I have um, been head of literacy. I've um, done a year as an associate assistant head for teaching and learning, which was fascinating. I have um, done my biggest learning curve, which I think was maternity leave. (laughs) and um, learning how to balance work and home um, and now I um, work at a very big inner city comprehensive school as the language and literacy coordinator and this is my seventh year and um, I don't know about you but I find um, that my role kind of changes depending on the needs of the school and the community and so what we noticed um, about three years ago, four years ago, is the amount of international new arrivals we were having was growing really quickly. And so Mm. we've always had quite a large, what you would call EAL cohort. Um, But within that, of course, there's so many different kinds of students. So there's those that are bilingual, speak another language at home. Um, There are those that are completely new to English. Um, And so the literacy work we were doing as a school was working very well for the bilingual students who um, had been brought up here and um, just um, needed kind of a bit of extra support with um, widening vocabulary and sentence starters. Um, And so that was working really well. And then with the um, increase in international new arrivals, my role kind of started to evolve to um, develop um, a really robust, holistic approach to supporting these students and our families. And so I've been doing this for about, I think maybe two or three years, and it's just the most rewarding thing I have ever done. Oh, amazing. That sounds great. And we're going to get into the nitty gritty of some of that in a second with my other questions. So, <laughs> um, 
Some additions then. So you talked a little bit there about international new arrivals and sometimes those new arrivals take place once the term has already started. Um, what's the reason for this or what can be the reason for this and how might this impact on the classroom? So what barriers might the students face and what barriers might the teachers face? Well, it's, it's a really interesting question that because in the school I was at previously, we had a huge number of in-year arrivals. That I, I would call them in-year arrivals. Mm. Um, and it was really daunting. You know, I, I don't think any teacher would be alone who felt that when they had a child in their classroom that was new to English, that, that they, they just genuinely didn't know what to do. And often... Often it's like one of the most one of the most common areas where teachers say they need more training okay. is when they um, encounter students um, who are new to English. So I've experienced myself that that feeling of almost like inadequacy. You know, when you know you're a great teacher, but then you're presented with a situation where really you just you just don't know what to do. And so you spend hours making these resources and you don't know if they're right. And it can be really, really, really difficult. Everything from trying to communicate with home can be really difficult. Um, and then you've got to think of the student as well. This, this child who has gone from one world to another, really. So the in-year arrivals can have lots of different reasons. Um, if there's a waiting list for a school, then um, the international new arrivals go to the top of the list okay um, there can be all sorts of and so as soon as a place comes up then it's filled with um, an international new arrival there can be loads of reasons for international new, new arrivals as well you know perhaps mom is a visiting lecturer at university and a linguist we have um, a lot of students like that at my school um, perhaps mom or dad have moved for work and then of course you have perhaps the more commonly thought of reasons for international new arrivals you know you like um maybe we do have displaced people displaced families maybe we have separated families so we have unaccompanied minors um, and so what we found is that each family needs something slightly different from the school so the way we look at i'm lucky enough to work in a really really well resourced and well supported department and school so we see our job as making our school easy to reach. So instead of looking at families who are hard to reach, we flip it and say we try and be easy to reach. Now, that, that works really well for the families, but at the same time, we have to support the teachers and the, and the children in school, because um, if that teacher's not supported and supported with differentiation, supported with communication, then that teacher can feel quite lost. Have you ever felt like that, Jodie? Yeah, I have. Yeah. And it's, you know, it doesn't matter how many, like you say, how many years you've been teaching, it can still feel really daunting, especially because usually underneath the surface of, of, of all teachers really is a really strong moral purpose to do the right thing by each individual child. So it can feel quite tough not kind of having the answers to at your fingertips, really. Absolutely. And we um, come across almost, I would say, actually, not even almost every single member of staff that works with us their reason for wanting to um, work with us is because they know they know why they were a teacher to make a difference to children. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there's no shame in kind of asking for support in that and, you know, using those things um, that are there for us, like the TES and like um, Twinkle 
and resources that might be shared on Twitter or on Busy Teachers Club, you know, and just um, using the resources that are already there. Yeah. Okay. Well, that leads us nicely on to the next question, which I think is probably the question or the answer to the question will be what the listeners are really um, excited to hear about. So how can staff go about supporting students with, and let's break it down into no English whatsoever, a medium grasp of English and a good grasp of English in the classroom, especially if they don't have any AL department to lean on like yours. Um, and perhaps just up to them as individual teachers to differentiate okay well um do you mind if we do uh, the easy one first <laughs> so yes, if you've got if you've got eal learners who are who are dead good at english and maybe just need a bit of support to write in different styles and um use formal english perhaps then i've found the the biggest impact you can have is creating word banks um, if as a class you can get this culture of sharing words and not just accepting the first word that a child might say to describe something, then what you will see is students will use those words on the board and it will elevate their writing like you wouldn't believe quite quickly. Same with sentence starters. Something right. you might feel is really simple, like in science, write a, write a method. Mm. actually for a child who um doesn't often write formally that's that's a real challenge yeah and so whack some sentence starters on the board um and you'll see suddenly the the level of writing will just improve massively and um, my third tip is always use success criteria always always and make it really clear um so children can see what a good one looks like and then mark their own so they know they develop that metacognitive habit of what a good one looks like mm. um, and, and how they can refine their own thinking. And the final one is going back to sentence starters is even framing talk for them. Okay. So having talk sentence starters, if you're using discussion in lessons and um, having a word bank, having those sentence starters will all you, you, you will see some children that that kind of structure will kind of free them because right. they'll understand how to do what you're asking them to do. That's really so, interesting, isn't it? Because you would normally associate those kinds of structures with restriction, wouldn't you? And yeah. kind of, oh, that's that's really interesting to see that being flipped. What would you say about reading skills for, for students that, that have a good grasp of English and the importance of reading there? Oh, yeah, it's vital. Um, I would say move it between good and medium um, acquisition of English. So we're kind of, we're confident, we're competent in English, but we're developing our literacy. Reading is absolutely key. Okay. The first, the first thing I'd look at is reading for pleasure because often children who've got different, you know, challenges with their learning, the first thing that can really pose a barrier all those years ago when they started their school uh, their, their education here is that they were told to read and they, they didn't enjoy it or they couldn't do it or maybe the words moved around on the page or maybe they needed a different color background and they will associate reading as not pleasurable at all so my first kind of point of call with 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 students with medium to good grasp of english um is to get the right book spend some time with them, learn what they like, be enthusiastic as well about reading for pleasure and just 
keep plugging away to find that author or that series that really sets them alight. Um, we're lucky we have an amazing library and librarian. And so a lot of that pressure is taken off the class teacher um, yeah. because the librarians are just so knowledgeable. But I also, I have a little library of books in my classroom and they're all books that I've chosen that I've brought from home or maybe they're old, I was going to say old library books, but that makes me sound like I might keep the library books. <laughs> you, know, you know, secondhand bookshops and um, just keep an eye out for, for texts that look like they might catch people's eyes. Particularly nonfiction can be more of a winner sometimes. Okay. Nonfiction with pictures, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, reading is vital. Um, but also it's about, particularly for these kind of students, avoiding what I would call a cold read. So yeah. like go straight in with some reading without giving them any context or anything concrete to support their understanding. So do you so have I a would, scripture for that? Yeah, I would always, um, what I always do is I introduce a text with pictures and with keywords pulled out, make some predictions, activate prior knowledge, what do we already know? Say if, if it's in geography and it's a, it, we're gonna do something, um, a bit of textbook work about um, volcanoes, mm. what pictures of the volcanoes up, what words do we associate with this? What do we already know? Really ground it in the concrete knowledge. Yeah. Introduce some subject specific vocabulary that might, they might have heard, but maybe it means something slightly different or um, maybe you put it with a volcano or a skeleton in PE or biology. And suddenly these, what you'll find is these students start drawing this information from all those different areas. And they're like, oh, I do know something about this. Yeah. You know, they're, they're like, I, I have got a foothold. It isn't a cold read. And then you can start with them you can read to them or they can read independently they can read as pairs and um, they can read to you and and the key for me in success is making them buy into that text and mm, give build them their confidence as well yeah. because yeah it can again feel regardless of whether or not they had they can speak confidently in english it might be a different thing reading and so you know that helping to build their confidence with reading is going to just set them set them up really well for all of their subjects it really is and I think one of the biggest myths um particularly if you look at for example like students who maybe 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 they coast maybe they've never really had to try too hard and then suddenly things get a bit difficult and you're like you need to remind them that reading is an active process you know you can't just look at a page and the words will go in you know you've got to engage with it and um, particularly if you're um if maybe um you're working with a, a student who perhaps doesn't have books at home or perhaps um doesn't um engage with family about reading maybe they don't sit around the table at dinner time and talk about books you know <laughs> god maybe um you know maybe they don't talk when they get home you know and so all these support mechanisms of grounding reading in concrete real life first mm. and then, you know, and then building the more abstract that, knowledge. 
Yeah, because that can help to build their cultural capital as well, because I'm sure there's likely to be some some gaps there as well. And so by, like you say, building that kind of concrete knowledge before they go in, they've already got a foothold in the text. They've already built some confidence. They're more likely to enjoy it, to engage with it, to be able to do something with it. Um, So that sounds, yeah, structuring the reading sounds like a great a great tip. Any Anything else for medium for good grasp? Um, I would just say avoid cold reads, encourage, I was going to say encourage reading for pleasure, but that sounds empty. I mean, um, work with these students to find something they enjoy about something they're interested in. And once you've hooked them in, then they'll go further. Yeah. Um, and then of course the written literacy of um, sentence starters, vocab banks, and then the spoken literacy of um, framing talk for them. I think if you manage to do all those things, I think you're doing a pretty amazing job. And those strategies as well are also beneficial for any other students that are in that are in the class as well. So I guess it doesn't feel because um, we're going to go on to talk about now students with perhaps little to no English whatsoever. And I always kind of feel a little bit like those students might feel isolated because they might have to do something completely separate, whereas those strategies that you've just talked through then seem to be strategies that 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 the other all the class can can kind of engage with and benefit from would you agree with that uh, yeah absolutely and if you teach a mixed ability what you'll find those strategies do is they um will elevate everything it because um the top end of a mixed ability group will fly yeah the middle ability will see what good looks like and and lift and reach it mm-hmm. and then the lower ability are really supported by all the structure so it, it works really well for middle ability, but also if you teach in sets, you know, you, you get um, maybe your stereotypical tricky middle set year nine mix of, of issues in there from um, various challenges for different students. And suddenly you give them a structure and then suddenly they are, they're free. Uh, you know, it's like looking at those kind of uh, that paradox again of, of structure. It's like routine. routine enables children to behave I know that's quite controversial actually but it does (laughs) I'm like I don't think it is controversial routine really helps people particularly children just like structure does as well yeah okay really interesting so what about then supporting the students with little to no English whatsoever joining your class kind of midway point through the year what's the best thing for us to do as teachers the best thing for us to do as teachers is to be kind to ourselves and realize that we are only one person and that we can't be everything to everyone all the time someone very wise once taught me years ago that the key with differentiation particularly if you're having a tricky time with a class or if you're in a tricky situation like with international new arrivals is to always in your lesson have something for the bottom and a stretch for the top. If you're really struggling, just go something for the bottom, stretch the top and you're doing pretty well. So when we're talking about international new arrivals, arriving mid-year, maybe you don't know they're coming. I don't know if this will be familiar to any of your listeners, but you know, it's happened to me. I'm like, oh, hi, I'm sorry, uh, are you new? And the person, you know, the student will just look at you. Mm. And you're like, goodness me, 
you know, what do I do? And so the, the biggest piece of advice is to say, um, just be not, just be kind and welcoming and friendly because whatever you're going through, wondering what you're going to do with this student, this student has got a whole lot going on with them. Like it takes, did you know, it takes seven years to become fluent in another language. Wow. And you can be in a silent period for up to the first two years. Wow. So that shows you the trauma and it shows you the, um, the learning curve. So we're tiny pieces in a jigsaw for these, okay. these students. So I would say how uh, to meet their needs best, pictures and words. So matching. Okay. Um, Twinkle is brilliant. Um, the, um, the Bell Foundation is brilliant. They have um, whole sets of schemes of work that are differentiated for EAL learners. Um, because also a lot of teachers who talk to me in my school and from other schools talk about the time commitment of making these resources. Yeah. And, and it is hard. It, it is. And so it's working with your department, with other teachers, dividing up the work and then keeping it so you can um, keep using it year on year. Yeah. Pictures and word matching is brilliant. Then close activities when um, students put words in gaps um, and then building those close activities to being sentences to finish and then writing sentences independently. That's the step. Those are the steps that I personally have used um, that have been quite successful when a student is just learning the basic foundations of what we're doing. So um, keywords, match them with pictures. And then um, close activity of putting those words with the pictures into a text, mm -hmm. maybe with the first letter of each word at first, mm -hmm. and then um, using those words to finish some sentences and then writing some sentences in their book. That, that kind of pattern, that can, it depends how many times you have a child in a week. But that, if I, so I'm an English teacher now, and um, I haven't always been, but I am now an English teacher. Uh, which I just absolutely love. And so we see some children five times a week. And so that that um, kind of order of activities would last me a week with some new arrivals. Yeah. And would you would you recommend um, if, if, say, for example, in your year nine class, you've got an international new arrival and you're studying a novel, would you make those activities linked to the content of the lesson rather than it being something totally separate? Or would you make it something totally separate I quite like students to learn the, on the topic we're doing in lessons but I also do understand that I'm quite privileged in the way that I know these children are being supported in my context do you know what I mean yeah and yeah. so if there isn't a central EAL hub or um you know, extra intervention or, or something, then you've got to ask yourself, who's teaching this child, you know, the survival language they need. Yeah. Um, and so that is, I think that's a judgment for um, each teacher on their own context. But mm. for me, in my context, I do quite like them to do um, the, the same topic. I wouldn't necessarily, well, I wouldn't do the same work, of course. necessarily 
that I would do the same topic. I saw something on Twitter last night, actually, which was lots of English teachers asking for um, copies of, of GCSE texts in other languages. And there was a debate um, about whether that was useful for um, international new arrivals. It was really fascinating to read. Of course, there, if there is a right or wrong, I don't know it. You know, um, there's just, on that. yes, it, uh, it's just like right for you and, mm. and the children in front of you, you're the expert in your classroom. Um, you know, what feels right for that child to do. Um, often we'll equip our students with an iPad and they can trans translate if they want to at first. Sometimes we'll translate keywords into other languages for them. Um, we try and stick with English as best we can, but if you put in front of uh, a child who's perhaps had a traumatic journey and is displaced from their own country and has taken a long time to get here and is finally in school, and you then put um, a list of English words in front of them and ask them to match them with pictures, they're not going to be able to do that. Yeah. So there is a real place for the home language. Often as well, um, we will um, get our international new arrivals to write in their own language, in their first language, um, for extended writing, particularly as they start to understand spoken English much more, um, because that's, you know, that's really valid writing in their first language, particularly if we're writing stories or writing poetry or um, maybe writing opinion pieces, you know, sometimes that can be very liberating for a child. We do also have a lot of children, though, who can't read and write in their first language. They right. can only speak. And so that's really where you are, you know, you, you're matching pictures. With and work. how do you, so if you are in a school, say a secondary school setting, and you do have sets, how do you go about placing a student in the right group? Because you might, you know, think, okay, this student's got no English, and so they need to be in a bottom group where things are slower, but perhaps they would have been in a top set in, their, in the country that they're yeah. from. And so how do you make that judgment call? Well, for us, what we do is we have quite a robust system to work with our new arrivals. So they go through an assessment that we adapted from the Bell Foundation as soon as they get to school. And that's done in their first language. Sometimes we'll um, have a translator in school. Sometimes we'll use another student. We use um, a system called um, the Young Interpreters, which is just brilliant and really celebrates those bilingual students to, and encourages them to use their home language to mentor new arrivals. Amazing. So often we'll have um, long conversations with with new arrivals in their first language with someone interpreting for us. And from that, we get an awful lot of information. Um, and because of that, I'm able to work with heads of department to put the student in the right place for their cognitive ability rather than their language acquisition. Yeah. But I also know that that, that again is is a, a really privileged position to be in that it's someone whose job it is to make sure that that, that happens to each and every student. Um, I think if if it does um, if it does present to you in a classroom um, where you're like, oh this this student, you know, maybe you ask them to write a story in their first language and it's three pages long and you know and they, they've really enjoyed writing it and you're in a bottom set that's really tricky to manage and you're still, you know, sticking in the learning objective or you know what you know you're like wow then you you can just speak to your head of department and and encourage them 
to um to look a bit closer at this child um but it, it used to happen a lot you know but um it, everywhere it used to happen a lot but um I would say it's probably not as common anymore I would hope <laughs> Well, listen, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. I think that the the strategies that you put forward there are really actionable, really doable for teachers. And I also love the fact that you've kind of commented there on, you know, us being kind to ourselves, but also seeking further training should we should we need it. You've named some some companies to lean on if you don't have that EAL department. So it's been really, truly useful. So thank you so much for joining oh, us. You're really, really welcome. It, you know, I, I just remember so vividly the feeling of, of helplessness. And we're amazing. Teachers are just the most amazing practitioners. And um, I think for a teacher to say, to hold their hands up and say, I actually need some support with this is really brave. Um, so I would encourage everyone who's been in that situation um, to, um, to speak to someone else at school, to reach out. If there's not a culture of um, support in your school um, for these EAL learners and you with these EAL, EAL learners, there will be in, a, in another school near you. So it's about making those links as yeah. well. And as I said, those, um, those organizations I've mentioned are absolute lifesavers, phenomenally run and with phenomenal educators involved in them. Amazing. Thank you so much. I hope it's been helpful. It's been so helpful. (laughs) And if anybody listening wants more information on today's topic, you can head over to Instagram at Busy Teachers Club and look out for today's podcast post to join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And for those that don't already know, we have a Busy Teachers Club membership. And this month, the focus is on closing the gap. So if you liked this podcast, you will love the content of this month's membership. For more support with your professional development, classroom resources and teacher well-being, head over to busyteachersclub.co.uk to learn more about our monthly subscription, which provides an abundance of timely support, resources and inspiration directly to your inbox every month. It'll help you to continue to learn and grow as a teacher without having to do all the research and planning yourself. It's a real time saver. With key monthly foci, including closing the gap, curriculum, teaching and learning, leadership and more. And with every month, including book recommendations to help you to continue to diversify your curriculum, it really is a goldmine of value for $4.99 a month. Well, that's all for today, but just remember, busy teachers, no matter how tough it feels, there is always light because the light is you.